morning. Uh, my name is Jamie. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. Will you please help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So like Liz mentioned, it is the third Sunday in Easter, right? We have seven weeks of Easter and then Pentecost. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to Jim and Liz, like we talked about something last week, and we might be doing something really cool on Pentecost, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, we'll make a real announcement, if it's real. I think I am, I think it's the first Sunday in June, so... Is the insurance paid on the building? <laughs> there will be free books and movies. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so today's gospel text comes from John's gospel. And it's one of the stories where Jesus comes to some of the disciples after his resurrection. And, um, okay, so I'm not sure if you guys remember what we prayed for in this morning's collect. Um, what's the collect again? So glad you asked. Um, it's a short prayer that tons of churches here and all over the world pray together during their worship. And praying this prayer together is a simple way that we can join our voices uh, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Jimmy, can you put it back up there on the screen? We'll look at it for a second. And it's usually uh, whose blessed son uh, made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of the bread. And the next part is a petition, right? We ask for something. And uh, we ask for it together. Okay, and so today, what did we ask for? Uh, we asked for God to open up the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work. Yeah. So we asked for what the disciples got. Okay, they got revelation and redemption through Jesus. And that's what today's gospel text is all about. It's about revelation and redemption. So let's, let's look at that and see if we, if we meant what we prayed for. Okay, so uh, turn to John 21. This chapter is like an epilogue. John ends chapter 20 with two stories of Jesus revealing himself to his disciples after the resurrection. And then John writes at the end of 20, now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The end. Okay, that's an ending. Okay. And then you turn the page, expecting like another book to start. But it's John, and he's telling us another story, right? It's a real attention grabber. He's like, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which I did not write down in this book. And here's one of them. I wrote it down for you. <laughs> right? So it must be really important. So John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So notice, he says he revealed himself twice. In one sentence. What do you guys think this story is going to be about, right? You don't even have to guess. In verse 2, Simon Peter, 
Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So seven out of the 11 disciples are together. And, you know, it's been a couple of weeks since Jesus' resurrection, right? And they're hanging out, and they're waiting for the next thing. And waiting around can be pretty difficult, right? Especially if you're not quite sure what you're waiting for. So Peter takes action, right? He decides he's going fishing. He falls back on what he knows, right? Fishing. And the others are like, okay, and we're going together. And I love that, right? Like, well, if you're fishing, we're fishing. And this is not like our version of fishing, you guys. This is not a relaxing morning on a pier at a lake, right? Rod and reel, just chill. No, this is work that lasts all night long. And I don't know if all of these guys, you know, are fishermen. You know that, like, Peter, James, and John are fishermen, but I don't know what Thomas and Nathaniel and the other two guys do. But they go together, and they work a night shift. Do you have friends like that? You know, a better question, like, are you a friend like that? I'm glad that's not what the sermon's about today. <laughs> Verse 3 tells us that they work all night and catch nothing. And that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? Uh, back in February, we studied Luke 5, right? The story of Jesus calling his first disciples. And they had been fishing on the sea all night long, and they caught nothing. So verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So once again, we have these echoes of Luke 5. Jesus, as a stranger, giving fishing advice to professional fishermen. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is just like the last time they fished with stranger Jesus, right? They listened and obeyed, and they caught an incredible amount of fish. And now the nets were so heavy they can't even lift them into the boat, right? So this jogs a memory. In verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his overgarment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So Jesus reveals himself to the disciples. It's not by their power or by their own eyeballs that they recognize him. He shows up as a stranger requesting fish that they don't have. 
And then he tells them what to do. They listen and obey. And then he provides an abundance of fish. And that's the revelation. They listened and obeyed. And then comes the revelation. One disciple is like, hey, that's the Lord. Right? And verse 7 says, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he got dressed and jumped into the sea. Peter just hears that it's Jesus. Right? He doesn't see him as that. He just hears someone else recognize Jesus. And in a split second, he's like, yep. And then, you know, miracle, schmiracle, right? He leaves the miracle uh, to go get to Jesus. And I wonder if I would run from a miracle to get to Jesus, right? Would I drop an abundant payday and run to Jesus? I'm glad I'm not preaching that sermon today. Talk about a revelation, right? But just hearing that it's Jesus moves Peter to action, right? He's an action guy. When he recognized Jesus walking on water, remember, he asked if he could do that too, right? He's no stranger to leaving a boat to get to Jesus. In verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus already had everything prepared for them. Did he even need the fish? No. But in verse 10, he acknowledges and accepts their catch, right? Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I love the details in this part of the story. Jesus says, okay, but go get fish. Like, I have fish and bread, but go get yours. And it's Peter who brings it to shore, the one who bailed on the miracle. He goes back and fetches the miracle. And the detail of that net not being torn, you know, in the first story of the, um, in Luke 5 of the miracle catch, that time, you know, the nets were tearing and the boats were sinking. But this time, there's this lack of chaos, you know? There's wholeness instead. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. My favorite verse. <laughs> I live by that verse, come and have breakfast. <laughs> he said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, if there was a disciple or two who wasn't sure that it was Jesus on the shore, when they saw the loaves and fishes, the invitation to eat, it says they knew it was the Lord. They had listened and obeyed, and Jesus revealed himself to his disciples in a miracle catch of fish, in fishes and loaves, and in breaking bread with them 
And these familiar things open the eyes of their faith. And now we get to the redemption part of the story. And there is some master storytelling going on here, okay? Because the author has already set up some hints of what's next. In verses 15 through 19, it's the conversation between Jesus and Peter, where Jesus asks him if he loves him, and Peter says yes. And they go through it three times. And this part is often taught as Jesus forgiving Peter for denying him three times, right? At the end of John 13, Peter kind of oversteps. And he tells Jesus that he will lay down his life for him. And Jesus prophesies, truly, you will deny me before the rooster crows. And then we see in John 18, the prophecy comes true. And Peter doesn't lay down his life for Jesus. He denies even knowing him out of self-preservation. So the author here sets this redemption up perfectly. Okay, there's a charcoal fire. And the only other time this is mentioned in the Bible is John 18, when Peter is outside. He's in the courtyard waiting to see what's going to happen to Jesus. And the high priest's servants are outside, and it's cold, and they make a charcoal fire. And Peter warms himself by it, right? He gets comfortable. And then the different servants, you know, they take turns asking him if he's one of Jesus' disciples. So the author here shows us a new charcoal fire, right? It's one that's not made by the servants of a crooked high priest, but one that is provided by Jesus himself. And in verse 14, the author reminds us that this is now the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to Peter. And now we're about to see another pattern of three. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In chapter 13, Peter thought he loved Jesus enough to lay down his life for him. But when the time came to prove his love, he chose himself instead. And now Jesus is taking those three times Peter denied him, and he's redeeming them with love. 
Three times he gets Peter to profess his love for him. And our English translations of the Bible do a real disservice to this passage because we just have this one word for love. But in the ancient Greek language, it has like six words for love. And this passage uses two of those distinct love words. In verse 15, Jesus asks, Simon, do you agape me more than these? We've talked about that kind of love before. Uh, I don't know, maybe you remember. But it's not just like the warm, fuzzy feeling kind of love. It's an action love, and it's a selfless love that is passionately committed to the well-being of others. I stole that from C.S. Lewis. But it's a self-sacrificing love. And Simon's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I philo you. And it's a different love word. And he uses the word to describe an intimate friendship, like a beloved kinship. And don't let the word friendship like cheapen this word for you, okay? This is a deep love. It's a, like, my life would be less good if you weren't in it kind of love. It is a deep love, but they're saying different things here. Jesus asks, do you self-sacrificing love me? And Peter could say, yeah, I do. But he knows when he had the chance to action love Jesus for real, that he chose to love himself first. It was not a selfless love. So his response is the truth. He tells Jesus, yes, I love you in the deepest, intimate friendship love. The you complete me love. And Jesus accepts that. He says, feed my lambs. Right? He doesn't turn that love away. And he asks again, Simon, do you agape, self-sacrificing action love me? And again, Peter tells the truth. He doesn't answer with Jesus' love word. He answers with philo. Yes, Lord, you know you are my beloved, intimate friend. My life is whole with you in it. And Jesus accepts his love, right? Tend my sheep. And the third time Jesus asks Peter, he switches his love word. And he asks him, Simon, do you philo me? He uses Peter's love word. He meets Peter where he's at. So Peter doesn't have to, like, prove himself or improve himself up to agape for Jesus to redeem and call him to serve. He meets him where he's at. Simon, do you philo me? And the text, you know, it tells us that Peter was grieved because he asked him, do you philo me? He's like, oh, no. Does he not know? Does he doubt my philo love for him? So he says, Lord, you know everything. And that's a declaration. Right? That's a declaration that Peter knows that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, you know everything. You know that I feel you. And of course, Jesus accepts his love, right? Feed my sheep. And he tests Peter with these questions. And Peter is honest in his responses, right? Talk is cheap. 
And he knows if he boasts in agape love, it wouldn't hold up to his previous actions, right? So he answers humbly. And each time, Jesus calls him to serve, right? Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. And then Jesus says that mysterious line, you know, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked wherever you wanted. But when you're old, another would dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. And thankfully, the author explains what Jesus was talking about. Because I would have sat on that for my whole life, being like, I, maybe Jesus needed some breakfast. I don't know. Check him for a fever. But he was prophesying about Peter's death. And the author tells us his death will glorify God, right? So this time, this prophecy comes after Peter's been humble. Jesus is telling him, you know, one day you will lay your life down for me. So he doesn't just redeem the denials. He redeems the previous prophecy as well. And then he calls him again. He says, follow me. It's like the first day they met after that miracle catch of fish. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, and that's one thing, catching people, right? But now after all of this time and life together and the revelation and redemption, the humility, he still says, follow me. But there's more to the job now, right? Shepherd my sheep. And that's, that's Jesus, right? That's the gospel. It's like revelation and redemption and then an upgrade. In our collect prayer today, we ask for God to open the eyes of our faith and to see Jesus in all his redeeming work. And we ask for what the disciples got, right? Revelation and redemption through Jesus Christ. And uh, may our response to this gospel be as truthful and as humble as Peter's. Amen? Amen.